Welcome to episode 107 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Krivat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at krivatenergyinnovations.com. And if you want to learn a little bit more about me, I was recently interviewed by Alex at OurVoicesPodcast.com. Check it out. Temperatures are rising, forest fires are more frequent, and storms are more extreme. And what's more, it's our fault. I'm Alex Melia, host of Our Voices. We've just brought out an eight-episode season on climate change, specifically on the experts and activists trying to protect our planet. We'll hear their personal stories and see the world through their eyes. New episodes of Our Voices on climate change are out every Tuesday. Available everywhere you listen to podcasts. This week, my featured guest is Jack Azaguri, Senior Managing Director, Northeast Market Lead for Accenture. He's responsible for leading more than 10,000 people in the Northeast United States, focusing on bringing continuous innovation to clients, attracting and retaining top talent, and strengthening Accenture's impact in the local communities. Jack is also a member of Accenture's Global Management Committee and North America Leadership Team. I asked Jack to be on The Climate Champions because I noticed that his LinkedIn headline included passionate about energy transition and also advocate for advancing equality. When I messaged him about his perspective on climate change mitigation, he wrote back, it's a necessity. We can't afford not to focus on it. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. Welcome to The Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat. I'm here with Jack Azaguri, a friend of mine for a long time, Senior Managing Director, Northeast Market Lead for Accenture. Jack, welcome to The Climate Champions. Lee, it's great to be here with you. I see on your LinkedIn page, you specifically call out climate change and the need for an energy transition. What was your motivating moment when you felt you had to engage in climate change? I can't point to a specific moment. I think it's a gradual recognition of the importance of climate change and what we need to do that has grown over the years. You know, I, I started you know, most of my career working with utilities, build our, grants, our global smart grid business, and so very involved in how utilities should respond to, uh, to climate change, how the grid needs to adapt, how you integrate renewables. I would say one of the realizations that I think everybody needs to have is that a lot of people think about climate change and global warming as something that will affect, you know, three, four generations down the line. And, you know, we need to realize, for me, we're going to have a problem and my kids will still be alive and their kids. It's about our kids now and their kids. This problem is right here in front of us. And I think the realization comes with education, that gradual, the more you learn, the more you get educated, you, the more you understand that we're heading towards two and a half, three degree warming, unless it's a dramatic change. So it's a gradual realization as opposed to a moment in time 
as you increase your learning, uh, your personal, my personal learning in this space. Yes, you talked about two or three generations, and then you talked about your kids. But come on, you went through Superstorm Sandy, and I remember you didn't have energy. You were going to like the top of the hill to get connected. I remember crazy things when I was trying to communicate with you. So that's happening now, climate change. It is happening now, but we're now facing a point where the planet will be in many ways unlivable or big parts of it unlivable when our kids will be alive. It's not a storm every two or three years. It's not being out of power for 10 days. That was bad. You know, when we talk about two and a half and three degrees warming, it's a disaster on a global scale. Entire cities that are no longer inhabitable. Not to talk about other impacts around water and you know species that are going to disappear and, and so on. So the magnitude of the disaster that we could face is in what is now short term. And, and I think when I look at the education journey that all of us need to go through, there's there's a lot to learn. There's really is a lot to learn, and every. All these journeys have to start with education. Unfortunately, we're on the back foot, and um, we are in the eleventh hour. And I'm not sure everybody realizes quite how dire things are. I feel the same way. I'm very nervous, actually, these days about how fast it's coming on faster than I thought. If you would have asked me four years ago, I thought we had more time. Honestly, we sat down with a, a professor at MIT. They have a great model. It's it's uh, available uh, online. And you actually look at the levers that we need to pull as a planet to get maybe not to 1.5, but close to 1.5 degrees warming. Almost everything has to be done right. Every lever has to be pulled. Carbon tax, coal, nuclear, energy efficiency, electric vehicles, plants, methane. Every lever has to be pulled in order to have a hope of getting close to one, one and a half degree warming uh, by the end of the century. And we have to start pulling those levers now. now. We can't start 10 years from now because we're just now. building up more problems. Now, I, I, exactly. And there's some levers in many ways that were too late. Like you think about planting trees or everything, well, let's plant a lot of trees. But it takes time for trees to grow and actually have a material impact. We're all, that lever, we're almost, almost too late for that one. I mean, we should do it. But some of the levers were we're already getting, it's too late. You mentioned your children. Do you have any other personal drivers for why this is specifically important to you? I think that's a big enough drive. I mean, it's, this is uh, an existential threat for all of us and for our planet. And this is priority number one. We have to get this right. And, and, and the challenge is, is, as we talk about, every leader has to be pulled and everybody has to play their part. And one of the things when you have discussions, a lot of people don't realize, well, I'll, I'll switch off the lights or, you know, I'll insulate my home or we'll do this in, in the corporate workplace and we'll make these commitments. And any person's commitment makes an infinitesimal impact on climate change. But unless everybody in every country and every corporation commits, we need every government, every corporation every individual. It is such a collective endeavor. And I, we're starting to get some momentum. COP26 was, well, we didn't get everything we wanted. At least you're starting to get that collective will and desire that at a scale that we haven't seen before. That's a lot of work to do. A lot of work. 
When you meet people that don't believe the data or think that you're crazy, saying the things you're crazy because they just don't believe it or don't understand it, how do you convince them otherwise? Well, the good news is I haven't had one of those discussions for a very long time. So I know there are people that don't believe the data. I, I haven't had a lot of those discussions. What, what, I, what I hear more is people understand climate change. They, they understand Hurricane Sandy. They understand you know, the weather events, the abnormal, but the education is, is still superficial. And, uh, and so that, that's more of what I encounter. People don't fully understand the levers that need to be pulled, how bad the situation is, how much, how little time we have. So I don't encounter too many people. Maybe they don't want to encounter me. So I don't have too many conversations with complete disbelievers, but you do, you know, I do have a lot of discussion with people's understanding and, and my understanding you know, we all have to learn. So, you know, this is a learning job for all of us. You know, there's a lot of learning to do. And I think that learning makes you more nervous. And I think we need people to get nervous because yeah. then there's a chance for some action. Yeah. What are you and what is Accenture doing to help mitigate climate change? We are very committed and we look at a commitment to sustainability. And, and for us, sustainability is a broad definition around ESG. And it's uh, it's the climate um, and getting to net zero. It's it's our people, it's diversity, very strong commitment to diversity, and it's the integrity with which we conduct ourselves. Um, a few of the things we uh, we have committed to one and a half degree pledge with UNGC, and we're the largest professional services company to date that has an approved science-based target. A lot of companies say they want to get to one and a half, but their targets haven't been validated by the science-based institute. Uh, we've committed to net zero by 2025, and we're focusing on reduction in scope one, two, and three emissions. We are committed to be 100% renewable by 2023. We're moving to zero waste. We have a plan for water risk. Uh, we've got 90% of our supplies, that, uh, which are about, about three quarters of our scope three emissions that I've committed to disclosing targets and taking actions. So th those are some of the commitments we've made. And then we've made commitments uh, on the diversity side, which is part of our sustainability umbrella as well around the gender equality as well as commitments in the US and a few other countries around Black and African-American growth in the employees and emerging directors and Hispanic American and Latina, uh, Latinx. So that's, that's one part of it. Our view as Accenture more broadly in terms of not just our commitment as a company, but our commitment as advisors to our clients, we're building a, a uh, very strong sustainability practice on the Peter Lacey, our Chief Sustainability Officer, our view is, you know, in 2013, we, we published a technology report every, every year. In 2013, we said every business is digital business. And people said, that's hype. And eight years later, every business is or has to be a digital business. And I think, and so we were probably, we were two, three years ahead of our time. We've now said every business is a sustainable business. And we've said sustainability is the next digital. And, and a lot of people look at that statement, every business is a sustainable business, the same way they looked at our statement in 2013. It's hype, but actually when you look at what companies need to do and how much they need to invest and what changes they need to make to have a hope of getting to one and a half degree and to hit their commitments, every business is or is going to have to be a sustainable business. And that's, that's what we believe in and that's what we are looking to help our clients uh, get through. How is the pandemic affecting Accenture's ability and your ability to make a difference in sustainability and your clients as well, if you could talk about that. First of all, more broadly, we know we 2020, we saw for the first time, when you look at the CO2 emissions, a little drop, unfortunately, we're almost back up depending on the dimensions. 
little bit worrisome. Some of the renewable deployments, the growth rates have slowed, supply chain issues and so on with solar panels and so on. So that's a little bit disappointing. And we need to get back to driving exponential growth in uh, all the renewable technologies. And when we look at the trajectory we need as a country, the growth needs to accelerate, not slow down. And so this year, unfortunately, with supply chain issues, primarily, we, we have taken a step back in terms of our growth in renewables as a country, and we need to get back on hyper growth. For us as Accenture through the pandemic, you know, one, one of the things, uh, and we, we are fortunate to be experiencing very strong growth, and it's primarily driven by the need for our clients to transform and digitize. And when we look at what our clients are, are doing, we call it compressed transformation digital and technology transformations that they had planned to do over three years or two years or five years are now taking months or a, you know, a third or a quarter of the time. And so this acceleration to increase their digital footprint, their digital capabilities is one we've been working with, with many, many clients on. And you add to that cybersecurity and the need to transform the customer experience, we're very busy. I would say the tough part of the pandemic has been on mental health. And I think most of us see us, we certainly see it personally, and I see it in the workplace. And that's something we are very focused on and something that really has picked up dramatically during the pandemic. It's been tough. It's tough to connect in the same way with people. A lot of the Zoom discussions are transactional. You know, it's tough to build a network. Uh, to have those friends at work that you connect with, uh, that you build those relationships to build that rapport. And that, that to me, if I think about the things that worry me at work, is how do we help our employees with their mental health? Um, how do we help with that social cohesion, with that networking, uh, with building those friendships in, in, in the work environment that really help make sure we are all supporting each other? And that's just been hard to do in a remote environment, harder to do. Mental health is an issue that even though we're talking about it, I don't think there is a way to talk about it enough. There's not a person I know that hasn't been affected, really affected by this, including myself. Like there's definitely impact because our lives have been so changed. Yeah. I will say one other thing that I'm, I'm grateful for our employee resource groups. They've always been very important, but their importance in the pandemic has been tremendously increased. And it it has been, for many of our employees, the number one way beyond their project team or the team they work in, it has been the number one uh, place where they go and get support and advice. And so very grateful for our 14 employee resource groups. We have a mental health uh, resource group. We put my entire leadership team all went through mental health training. And then next week, my entire leadership team is going to go through suicide prevention training. Uh, we want to get it done before the holidays for for obvious reasons. And so, uh, and that's all our employee resource groups that are coming up with ways to really help our employees seem safe and connected and secure in the workplace. Great. Can you talk briefly about your prior background? Originally from the UK, I grew up in France, and uh, I started my career in the software industry. I was fortunate to go to, to Japan uh, for uh, for a few years, which was uh, an amazing, amazing experience. I uh, actually was fortunate to meet uh, Janet, who was in Tokyo as well, my wife of 25 years. And then I joined in consulting, Accenture Anderson Consulting, in the mid-90s in the London office uh, in our strategy uh, team. A little bit focused on comms and high-tech, but very quickly switched to utilities. The UK was going through deregulation and privatization, a lot of mergers and acquisition, fascinating work. And 
joined that. And then we moved to the West Coast in 2000. Our son was born and then moved to New York in 2008. For, for most of my career, helping utilities with, with strategy work, uh, smart grid work, uh, mergers and acquisitions, large transformations, technology-based transformations. It's been, that, it's been a, a really fun ride and one where I continue to learn. And now I lead our, our Northeast uh, business here uh, out of New York and uh, working over the last few years with, uh, with our clients across a, a number of industries, which has uh, continued my learning journey, which is fantastic. Can you talk about setbacks that you've had in your career? You know, when we look at setbacks, you know, our careers, our personal lives don't go in a straight line. And I think for me, it's learning, you know, when you take a detour, when you take a setback, how do you learn from it? And, you know, you may not realize the need to learn from it when it happens. But when you look back a few weeks later, a few years later, the learning from those setbacks is really, you know, some of the richest parts of your life and, and your career. And so, you know, they add to the richness, they add to the learning, they're a critical part. And um, I think I've learned the most from some of the setbacks in, in my career, uh, the small setbacks, the biggest setbacks, and you know, it's uh, how do you learn from them and, and pick up and go with the flow and adapt and make the best of the situation. You know, we all have a view of where our career is supposed to go. We all have, you know, paint a linear view of what we want to do and you end up taking detours and those may be setbacks. And then you realize a few months later, actually it's the best detour you've ever taken. Work can be challenging, but sometimes uh, things on the home front. And, and that's the part we don't see with our colleagues, what's happening on the home front. Those are actually the more important setbacks and challenges that actually, uh, you know, take up, uh, take up more mental power and emotional, uh, emotional time and are harder to work with. And so, but you gotta, you gotta make the time to learn and, and uh, figure out how to, how to get better as a result. The ones on the personal front, uh, where things happen to family and friends and kids. And those are, those are the tough ones. And those are the ones at the same time that probably make you strongest. Can you talk about the successes you're most proud of? I think probably hard work is ahead for me still. I, I think, first of all, when I think about what I want to be most proud of over the next few decades, it's first of all, my kids, my family, and the work that I do in the community. And the hard work is still ahead of me. What I'm most proud of in the workplace, look, we're, we're in a simple business in consulting. We take care of our people and we take care of our clients. And those are very, very rewarding. When, when you see people that you've coached and mentored and helped grow and you see the impact that you have on, on the teams, that to me is, you know, give me extreme pride and, and, and satisfaction. Uh, so there's nothing more rewarding than helping your team and your colleagues grow as professionals and be successful as professionals. And then with clients, anytime you can help a client, you provide advice that helps them move in the right direction, that helps them hit the deadline, that helps them move their business in the right direction. That's very rewarding to me. And so I would say my family, the employees at Accenture, our clients, and then the work in the community. But I would say, um, the journey is still ahead of me in terms of what I want to accomplish. When you look at the future, you talked about that we don't have a lot of time to get going. When you look 20, 30, 40 years in the future with regards to our planet, what do you think it's going to look like? Are we going to make it? I think we will make it. We have to make it. And I think, you know, we talked about COP26. I think, you know, I would probably say we, would, we wanted more out of COP26. But 
you see the momentum, the momentum's there, people, the governments are starting to realize around the world. My fear is that things are going to get quite a bit worse before we actually get there. And so I believe and I hope and I believe that we will avoid a catastrophic scenario. But I do unfortunately believe we're going to need more warning signs uh, that the planet is going to give us. They're going to force us into more aggressive action. And so I fear that things will get worse. There will be some events that become increasing wake-up calls for our planet and for all of us on this earth, uh, but that eventually we make it. And so I'm optimistic we get there, but I think the journey ahead is going to be tough. And you look at everything that has to be done to hit one and a half degrees, it is a massive task ahead of us. And so we need to continue to educate and we need to all uh, take it personally. It is everyone on this planet has a role to play. And the role of every individual and every corporation and every governmental institution around the world is the only way to get to the massive task ahead of us. Has the pandemic changed your opinion of what the future looks like? I think the pandemic's changed everybody's view of, you know, nobody expected this. And so I think we're probably all more attuned to there are scenarios that are going to hit us. And I think on climate, it's certainly one of them that unfortunately we don't expect. I think when you look at the stats out there, you know, over 70% of executives believe that climate change is a priority, but only 57% have made it a top priority as part of their COVID recovery. And so that still leaves a lot of C-suite executives, a lot of corporations that have not yet made this a top priority for their recovery, and that worries me. Uh, we also have a lot of companies that have made commitments to one and a half degrees, but only 2% have validated their commitments through science-based targets. And so I think COVID has changed everybody's point of view. We need to continue to evolve our point of view and get ready because the disaster that we may face with climate change could dwarf the catastrophic impact and, and the lives impact that COVID has had, unfortunately. And so, you know, this has been a catastrophic impact in terms of lives lost on this planet. Climate change if we don't do anything, could be a lot, lot worse. You said everybody needs a role to play. What advice would you give people? How can they help? I think, first of all, get educated. Pick up a book, listen to a podcast, listen to your podcast, <laughs> learn, right? There are a lot of documentaries, books. You know, make time to invest. It, this is personal, number one. To, to learn, make time, to invest the time to learn. So that would be step number one. And then... I think everybody, we all need to get into the mindset. I've said it, every action matters. We all have a role to play and put ourselves in that position. And we may feel that our role is small and it is small in terms of the magnitude of what needs to be done, but it is important nevertheless. It is very, very important. And so we, we all need to lead. Be it leaders in industry, leaders in our households, uh, leaders in government, we all, we all need to play a role. And, and it does start with education. And that's a personal task that, us as individuals, corporations, governments all need to play a role in driving that education so we know what needs to be done and how to do it. Do you have any questions for me? I'd love to. I've listened to some of your podcasts, but I'd, I'd love to get your view. You've done many of these. You've had some amazing guest speakers, and I've listened to a number of them. If you had to pick the top two or three things that you've learned through, through the podcast, what would they be? 
One is that it's much worse than most people understand that it is. It's going to take a lot more effort and action that maybe people want to do. So that's one, that we're in bad shape. Two, that there's more people than I ever imagined that are dedicated to making a difference. So that's the hope. Number three is we need all arrows in the quiver. So we need not only all technologies, but we also need government and companies and people all working together. So everybody matters, as you said, everybody matters here. Is there anything else you'd like to say? It's uh, always a pleasure to have a chat with you, Lee. <laughs> and uh, thank you for doing this. This is part of the education that we all need. It's, and you doing this podcast is tremendous. And uh, keep up the education, keep up the, the push on, on sustainability. We certainly need your energy. And, but it's always great to connect with you and to have a chat. It's always great to talk to you, Jack. I love talking to you. And let me wrap this up now with a wrap. You believe everyone needs to learn because this thing is attacking us in the short term. You have a lot of experience in energy and power, and we are in the 11th hour. Every lever must be pulled or the planet will be done. Climate change mitigation is priority number one. The need for renewable growth, it is insane, but we have to fix the supply chain. Mental health is hurting us all. You gave a lot of whoops to your employee resource groups. It's going to take a massive effort to save the day. Everybody has a role to play. The solution, it won't be served to us on a platter. Every action anyone takes, it will matter. I can tell by your accent, you're not from Missouri. You're very passionate about the topic. You have a lot of fury. When it comes to the solution, we haven't heard from the jury. Thank you very much, Jack Azoguri. That is impressive. That is impressive. It's a meaningless talent that I have, and it's the only place I can put it to use. <laughs> <laughs> I've known Jack for over 15 years, and I'm inspired by his work leading Utility of the Future projects across the world. I'm hopeful that he will have the same success leading the energy transition and the shift towards renewable energy. Our world needs it. It was great to hear his passion to make a difference for his family, community, company, and clients. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, please visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. As Jack said, the problem is massive, and it is a necessity that we focus on it. Even though each of us can only do a little compared to the size of the problem, every little bit of it is a must if we are going to successfully mitigate climate change. Mm -hmm.